what ultimately abolished slavery in the United States was the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that was passed by Congress in January of 1865 and ratified in December of 1865. As great as that was, it didn't solve everything overnight because what followed this was a time in our country historically that we've come to recognize as Reconstruction. The integration of millions of newly freed African-American slaves into social, political, and labor systems. For former African-American slaves, the challenges of Reconstruction were very steep. Many of them were uneducated, they were illiterate, they were mentally not prepared to live as free people. Not to mention the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments uh, ended slavery, but not racism. Not only were African Americans grappling with now thinking like free people, but many in the South were also not accepting of viewing them as free people. But one of the biggest challenges for former slaves was this very thing, thinking and acting like free people. Slavery had been abolished legally, but how do a people now, who all they've known for years was bondage? That's all they've known. How do they now think, speak, and live like free people? This is the relevant issue regarding strongholds, right? When someone has lived in bondage for so long, they can perceive it to be impossible to abolish a bondage mentality. Romans 8 tells us that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Although that's very true. It is very true. Uh, some of God's children have been entangled in the yoke of bondage for so long that they just can't process that. Bondage, not freedom, has become their mentality. This bondage experience has overtaken their identity. It is the lens that they look through on everything. They see everything from the perspective of the bondage that they are in. It clouds everything. And listen, one of the proofs, one of the proofs that someone is in bondage is that they will struggle greatly and even reject what I am about to say that bondage or liberty are purely voluntary. When you are in bondage to a stronghold, you struggle with that statement. 
Uh, People who have been in bondage to a stronghold want others to buy and accept the lie that they have bought and accepted. So don't tell me this is voluntary. Don't tell me that I don't have to think, speak, and live this way. Don't, don't, don't tell me that, 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 that I can do something different, that I can be free. Don't, don't tell me that. But here's why I am emphatic about bondage being purely voluntary for the believer. Here's why I am emphatic about it. Here's why I am unapologetic about it. Five words. Christ hath made us free. That's why. That's why I can be emphatic. That's why I can be unapologetic. Christ hath made us free. Galatians 5.1. If I said that bondage for the believer was involuntary, I would be lying. So here's where we are going in this entire discussion regarding strongholds. At Romans 6.11, likewise, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This word reckon, it means to take inventory. And when you take inventory, that always involves counting things. And when you count things, you always come to a conclusion of truth. So if I took inventory of the chairs that are in this room, I'm going to count each and every chair that's here, and that's going to give me a number. And that number is going to tell me the truth about how many chairs are actually in this room. And then from there, I have a choice. I can believe that or I can reject it. But that is the truth. As believers in Jesus Christ, when we take inventory of who we are in him. The inevitable and conclusive truth that we arrive at is that we are dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please hear me. The issue is not that we need to die unto sin. That's not the issue. The issue is that we have died unto sin. That's the issue. Listen, the only power, therefore, that sin has over you as a believer is the power that you voluntarily give it. But biblically, in Christ, you are dead unto sin. It is not your master. It has no power over you. It is not your authority. You've died to it in Christ. So here is the thesis for today. The key to breaking strongholds is reckoning what God has declared to be true. It's reckoning what God has declared to be true. This entire discussion about strongholds, this entire discussion comes down to truth or lies. 
Who are you going to choose to believe as a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you going to believe the truth of God's word in terms of what it says to you about who you are in Christ? Or are you going to believe the lies of the devil who is the father of lies? That's it. And this brings us back now to 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 8. And David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore, they said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Now, I have some very good news out of the gate for you today. Today, we will be done with verse 8. If you're wondering, are we ever going to get past verse 8? Let me just tell you, uh, I really sense that, I, that the Lord, as I was thinking about preparing and teaching 2 Samuel, that once we got here, that we would need to take as much time as I believe God wanted us to take to make sure that we did business with him here. And so I'm thankful for the time that we've had. We have needed it. But pertinent to our study today was the statement that David made regarding getting up to the gutter. Uh, this word gutter is very critical to our discussion about strongholds. It simply refers to a culvert. This is a structure, listen to this definition, that channels water past an obstacle or to a subterranean waterway. How about that? So led by Joab, David's men were able to crawl through this gutter, this culvert, and attack and take the stronghold of Zion. But please don't miss the picture. The way to taking the stronghold of Zion was passing through a structure that channels water past an obstacle. Do you see where we're going? Remember, we said the abundant life is where the word of God, a picture of water, is overflowing out of someone's life. If you are in bondage to a stronghold, undoubtedly you have allowed Satan to stop the flow of God's word in your life, which is why you can't get past that obstacle. You can't. You have allowed him to stop the flow of God's word in your life. You're like a clogged drain. It's bad. It's really bad. Now, what ought to be evident is that David was both bold and confident in the taking of the stronghold of Zion. And the reason for both leads us to this next point that we're going to establish today, and it's massive, and, and, and if, you, if your heart's open, if you're humble, if your ears are open, if your eyes can see, uh, listen, you're going to, listen, what's going to happen is, is uh, the Lord, is, he's already put them in your hand, but he's going to remind you that the keys 
The keys to those chains are in your hands. You hold them. This is why bondage for the believer is so twisted. They're like an inmate sitting in a prison cell with the keys to the door. But they just sit there day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. They've got the keys. At any point, they can get up, they can unlock that door and walk out. And the reason they have the keys is because they're free. Consider this, beginning in Genesis 15 and verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. Uh, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, and the, the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Gergesites, and the, say it with me, Jebusites. Exodus 3, verse 8. And I am come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, bondage, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites, and say it with me, the Jebusites. Why was David so bold? Why was he so confident that they could take this stronghold? from the Jebusites because he knew what God had promised. He knew what God had promised. He knew that. Listen, if we are going to break strongholds, not only must we fight and war, but listen, we must have faith in God's word. We must have faith in God's word. We must, not talking about just knowing it. You can know God's word, but not have faith in it. This is one of the problems. You have a lot of people who are in bondage, and biblically speaking, they're very academic. The issue is they don't have faith in what God's word says to them about who they really are in Christ. Again, who are you going to believe? Who am I going to believe? See, what David did was David took inventory. He reckoned. He took inventory on God's character. And here is the conclusion that he arrived at. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Listen, when it comes to truth, God is not fickle. He's not. In other words, when God speaks, when God declares something, when God promises something, you can count on it. He cannot lie. 
So when God said, I have given you the land of the Jebusites, David understood that, yes, I can take God at that. Hebrews 6, 18, that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. David believed that God could be taken at his word. He had faith in God's word, do you? Do you really believe that you can take God at his word? You can put not just your soul, but your life right here and now. You can put your life on it. What has God said? So if God said that he had given his people the land of the Jebusites, guess who had a problem? It wasn't the Israelites. It was the Jebusites. They had a problem. Now, this is very critical. Believers who are in the bondage to a stronghold believe lies about God. They believe lies about God. It's not that they simply believe lies. It's that they believe lies about God. And this is a tactic from the devil from the Garden of Eden. No doubt about it. Genesis 3 and verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan was able to deceive Eve into believing that God was somehow denying her of the opportunity at becoming a deity. Which was a lie. It was a lie. God was not depriving her of the opportunity at becoming a deity because that's not what God had for her. If God was good and righteous, he would not do that. The troubling reality, though, is that many believers who are in bondage to a stronghold are also suspicious of God. Suspicious of God. I mean, you see this throughout Scripture. When something goes wrong, there's an ache, there's a pain, there's a hurt, there's a setback. And if you watch your flesh in those moments, how quickly you are tempted to turn on God. How could you? What, what is this? What, what are you doing? What, what, what's your problem? Like that. Like that. Oh, you, you, you can't trust God? Uh, wow, if, if, boy, if he was faithful, how do you explain that? Boy, if he loved you, how do you explain that? And because we don't have faith in God's word, we buy that lie, don't we? Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us unequivocally that there is no unrighteousness found in him. Amen. You will never justify wrong with God. 
you will never be able to accuse him of wrong, of, un, of un, something that's unfair. You can't. And when you are suspicious of someone, the last thing you're going to do is what? Trust them. If you have bought the lie that God is somehow working against you, there's no way you have faith in his word. But listen, to break a stronghold, that's exactly what you have to have. You have to have faith in God's word. Listen, here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing about Eve and us, which doctrinally there are some similarities there. We understand that. She was already victorious. She was already victorious. What didn't she have? She was in the Garden of Eden, sinless, absolute perfection. What was she missing? All she had to do was think, speak, and operate from a place of truth and victory. That's all she had to do. And the same is true for us. We fight and war by holding fast to the truth that we have received in Christ. That's it. Now, Paul told us how to fight and war, but he also made it clear that four very critical things will happen when we fight and war and we operate from a place of truth. Four things are going to happen regarding strongholds. And we find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which we read this last week. We come back to it now, beginning in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So our war and our weapons are not physical. They're spiritual. Can I tell you, uh, over the years, I, I've, I've, I've done my fair share of, of marriage counseling, and can I tell you one of the most disheartening things that you will ever see is that what can happen in marriage is a marriage can, can deteriorate to the place it can become so toxic, so contentious, that we develop an adversarial perspective of our spouse. They are the enemy. This is my, no, 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 they're not your enemy. <laughs> no, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That, that, that's not what's happening here. You've identified the wrong enemy, which means you are confused about what war you're actually fighting. Lori Morgan, praise the Lord, I can tell you a number of, I could, write a, I could write books, I could write an encyclopedia about how wonderful she is in so many ways. 
But I could also tell you some things about Lori that aren't so glorious. 20 years of marriage, you learn that. And she could tell, she could probably now for me, she could write an encyclopedia about all the things that aren't wonderful about me. But in those moments, when her imperfections are shining, she's not my enemy. Lori Morgan is not my enemy. But those weapons are outlined for us in Ephesians chapter 6. I'll just give you a high-level summary here. But you have to know these. Loins girt about with truth, Ephesians 6.14. This was the girdle that held the armor of the soldier together. It was also where you would find the sword. And here's the principle. Truth holds everything together. Do you know when things fall apart in your life? Do you know what it takes for you to be in bondage to a stronghold? Is that you simply step back from the truth. And when you do, everything begins to fall apart. Why? Because for the believer in Jesus Christ, truth holds everything together. Everything. The breastplate of righteousness protected the soldier's heart and lungs. What does righteousness do? Righteousness provides protection against temptation and falling into sin. Uh, feet shod with the preparation of gospel of peace represented the soldier being on the offensive. When you read 2 Samuel 5 verse 8 and David talking about taking the stronghold, they were on the offensive. They were attacking. For us, we must be on the offensive with the gospel. We go. We're attacking the world with the gospel. The shield of faith provided protection against fiery arrows from the enemy. Faith in God's word quenches the fiery darts of the devil. It's your defense. The helmet of salvation provided protection for the soldier's head. The hope of our salvation reminds us of our eternal victory. No matter what's happening in this life, at the end of the day, I think we know how it all ends. Amen. I know how this is all going down. I know there is a trump coming. There's a sound that's coming. So I don't have to be, get uptight. I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry. I know. I can, I can have the hope of my salvation. The sword of the Spirit the sword was an offensive and defensive weapon. And that holds true for us. The word of God is our weapon and defense in battle. And then praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. This is where, listen, this is where the victorious believer, this is where they live and breathe. They live and breathe in an atmosphere of prayer. They pray without ceasing. This is where they live. You will not find them spending more time fretting and worrying about things than you find them praying over things. Yes. 
listen, all these weapons are connected to God's word. Every one of them. But listen, if you do not have faith in God's word, guess what? You are not fighting and warring with these weapons, are you? You're not. And because you're not fighting and warring with these weapons, here's the hurtful truth. You're struggling and you're losing mightily in your walk. You're trying to throw physical answers to spiritual problems. You're trying to fight a spiritual war with physical weapons. You can't win. You cannot win. Now, when you are fighting and warring with these weapons, four wonderful things will happen. Notice what we read here. The pulling down of strongholds. That phrase, the pulling down, here's what it means. Demolition. Demolition. Faith in God's word, listen, demolishes strongholds. Please hear me. I don't care what you have been dealing with. I don't care how long you've been dealing with it. I don't care how depressed you think you are. I don't care how much of an addict you think you are. I don't care how whatever this thing is that has cut you off from the abundant life in Christ, name it and multiply it by a thousand in strength. And listen, it is no match for the word of God. It is no match. Faith in God's word will demolish strongholds, obliterate them. Casting down imaginations. Uh, Casting down is very similar to pulling down and meaning, but this word imaginations is interesting. Here's what it means. Computation. Another counting word. Numbering or reckoning is what that means. When we are in bondage to a stronghold, guess what? We do not reckon properly. Our reckoning is bad. We've done bad math. We're not counting properly. But faith in God's word, listen, demolishes all bad reckoning and lies of Satan. Demolishes it. Bringing into captivity. Uh, Faith in God's word takes captive any thought that is contrary to the truth. See, when you have faith in God's word, here's what you do. You filter any and every thought through scripture. God's word becomes your chief filtering system. And when you have faith in his word and you filter all these things that are coming against you, you go, wait a minute, that's not true. Wait a minute, that's a lie. Wait a minute, that's bad counting. 
wait a minute, I know that's wrong. I know the truth. So anything that comes against this, this takes it captive. Having in a readiness regarding strongholds, this readiness to revenge all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled means that we are ready to deal with our disobedience until our, bond, our, our obedience is complete. In other words, I, I'm not just going to sit here and, and, and intellectually agree with everything that's being said. No, no, I, I'm, I'm going to take God's word and I'm going to deal with this bondage in my life. I'm going to agree with God. I'm going to obey God's word. I'm going to reckon it as true. And I'm going to deal with this thing until I am standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made me free. Galatians 5.1. I'm not going to sit under the word of God and then go home and pout and, 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 and have my lip hanging on the floor and, and walking around looking like a funeral all the time. No. I'm, God, I'm going to take you at your word. And I'm going to do it every day. God, if it kills me, this will be the most important aspect of my day every day. For some of you, you need to turn the TV off. You need to put your phone down and go to bed so that you can wake up and put first things first. That in all things, Colossians 1.18, he might have what? The preeminence first. God, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to open this book. I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to open my eyes. I'm going to open my, eye, my mind. I'm going to open my ears. And I'm going to hear what you have to say to me every day. But listen, having faith in God's word compels us to be ready for war every day. Because it is that. Please, please, the world, the flesh, and the devil are coming for your liberty every day. Every day, they're coming for it. They're coming for it. Are you ready? That means that you must be ready and willing to stand your ground. Listen, one of the unrealistic expectations that is held by those who are entangled in bondage is that God is just going to one day zap them. Like this lightning bolt, right? It's just going to fall out of heaven one day and God's just going to zap them and, and every ounce of misery and every ache and every hurt and every pain and every failure 
it's just going to just go away. That zap is coming one day, right, God? Sadly, I do mean sadly, these are people who do not want to exercise faith. They don't want to pray. They do not want to spend quality time with God in his word every day. They don't want to think on God's word throughout the day. And ultimately, they have no interest in really obeying it. And day after day, they are waiting and looking for that zap. And if not that, well, then just maybe for someone to come along who can fix them. Surely you can fix me, right? You, 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 you know something. You, maybe there's a verse in here somewhere that I've never discovered that you've discovered that you'll, you'll read it to me and it'll just, the change just come off, right? I mean, good night. John is a gracious guy, a loving guy. He's a professional. Surely he holds the keys. He can do it. He, he can fix me. He can set me free. Brothers and sisters, there is no zap. And no one is coming to rescue you from bondage. Help is not on the way. Here's why I say that. You have already been rescued and delivered from bondage. That's why there is no zap. That's why there isn't anyone coming with keys to say, sorry, it took me a minute. Let me unlock the door and let you out. No, again, you've got the keys. You've got them. So we don't need a zap, and we don't need another Savior. There is not another Savior. Here's what it comes down to. Listen, we must think, we must speak, and we must walk like free men and women every single day. See, for us spiritually, right, we were in bondage to Egypt, were we not? And guess what the Christian life is? It's spiritual reconstruction. Where now we're learning how to think, speak, and act like the free people that we are in Christ. It's interesting, when I'm around my family, when I go visit my family uh, in Atlanta, and my cousins, and I'm around them, and I was talking with Lori about this yesterday, and like they, they're still living in the past. They're still in Egypt. So they want to reminisce, and they want to laugh, and they want to talk about some of the sinful escapades that I was a willing participant in all those years ago when I was lost. 
And I listened to it, and I, I, I tried to be as gracious as I can. Yeah, that, that, was, that was really dumb, wasn't it? Boy, sin's an awful thing. But they haven't left there. I'm not there anymore. I, that's not who I am. I don't think like that. I don't talk that way. I don't live. That's not where I am. But listen, you, listen, listen, if you are going to be free, which you are, but if you're going to experience that, you've got to be ready to go every day. And this is where many of us draw the line. God, I just want you to do something that just zap, Right? Please, one of the misconceptions about grace, hear me. Sometimes grace doesn't mean we do nothing. I'm not talking about a work salvation. That's not where I'm going. But sometimes we have this very immature concept of grace. Remember when Paul had his thorn in the flesh? And he prayed three times for God to take it away. And what did God tell him? My grace is sufficient for thee, right? God didn't remove the thorn, whatever it was. What did he do? He gave him the grace that he needed to endure the thorn. It's not this zap, this magic eraser. God will give you grace to fight. God will give you grace to war. God will give you grace in the struggle. But you got to say, okay, God, with your grace, here I come. I'm not going to roll over and just be a victim and feel sorry for myself and be down all the time and depressed. And everywhere I go, I'm a burden to everybody. Because I refuse to take you at your word, God. So let's close with this. We got some verses, and there was a word I want you to think about as we read through this. So let's start with Psalm 68 and verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loaded us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Psalm 86.3. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Psalm 119.97. Christy, give it to us again. Okay. All good. Um, oh, how I love that law. It is my meditation all of the day. Psalm 119, 164. Proverbs 8, 34. Matthew 6, 11. Luke 9, 23. Acts 2, 46 and 47. And they continued daily with one and four in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Acts 5, 42. Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, 
and search the scriptures daily, whether those things are so. First Corinthians fifteen thirty one. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Hebrews three thirteen. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What's the key word in all those verses? Daily. Daily. Not every other day, not every other week, not every other month, every day. Listen, one of the earths, for so many of God's people, you know what you do? You take breaks, don't you? You take vacations from God, don't you? You have seasons where you just cut all communication and fellowship with God off, don't you? Believers who have not become entangled again with the yoke of bondage, you know what they do? They choose to pursue a relationship with God through his word each and every day. They're constantly engaging God in prayer and in this. Regardless of the circumstances or seasons in their life, they do not stop that pursuit. Lord, help us to reckon these things to be true. In Jesus' name, amen.